Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 2 of series 4 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. A special thanks to Sports Endorse who have come on board as sponsors for this series. They're an online sports sponsorship platform that connects athletes with companies all around the world. The Irish-owned online marketplace has over 4,000 athletes to date. For more information, check out the link in the show notes. Also, a special mention to the Shire Baron Cafe and Clarny, who are also supporting the podcast for this series. On episode 2 of series 4 of an Inside View podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by US Rugby 15 star, Houston Sabercat star and sports endorsed athlete, Kristen Dyer. The former collegiate All-American also represented his country numerous times at Rugby 7's level. Dyer is the host of The Chase, a podcast focused on speaking to high-performing individuals. To find out more about Kristen, check out the Sports Endorse website or a link that will be provided in the show notes. Hi Kristen, thanks for taking time out to come on Inside View podcast. How are you keeping? I'm well, thank you for having me. Brilliant. So I've, uh, it's been a while since I, well, not long, it's about four or five weeks since I've seen you and you're after going through a lot of highs and lows and even another low that I, I wasn't aware of until you, you told me before we started, we, we clicked record. Um, but look, let's, we'll delve into that soon. Um, what I like to do with my guests is, is kind of go back to the start and kind of create a picture as to, you know, what form them into the person they are today. Uh, just before we do that, actually, um, I think it's important to to note, um, I will get your insight in into COVID. You know, how did you deal with that, that period from a, you know, from um, a psychological perspective? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, COVID for me was, was in my senior year at Cal Berkeley and, um, it was actually the year that uh, I was coming back from an ACL surgery and ACL injury. And so for me, you know, COVID was a, was a turning point in my life and my rugby career and, and whatnot, because, you know, the landscape of rugby in the U S was, was so uncertain at the college level during the, during the time of COVID and um, me not being able to play the sport because of an injury sidelined me. And so I kind of had to sit back and, and, and figure out, you know, what was, you know, what's the trajectory really like for me now with, with COVID now a factor? Um, the original plan was, you know, let's do five years at, at Cal Berkeley and, and, and finish the plan that I set out to, to really do. But um, yeah, COVID put a little turning wrench in that. Fortunately, the summer before when I was playing with the, the US Sevens team, um, I had a good run and, and I had a good relationship with the coach and we have a conversations and he said, Hey, look, if you expedite your graduation from Berkeley to this summer, we'll bring you in full time to the, to the men's sevens program down in San Diego. And, um, that was one of the, you know, tougher, tougher, uh, decisions I ever had to make because I was, I was so happy with where I was at at Cal. I was loving life. Um, I had an amazing group of friends and I was just living that, that college dream that, 
every American wants to, you know, wants to live. But part of me was, part of me knew I had to leave. Part of me knew I had to go do something um, I maybe wasn't as comfortable doing, step out of my comfort zone and and go chase rugby to the highest level that I possibly could. And, and I knew that taking myself out of the college landscape and putting myself into a professional environment was going to be the best, was going to be the best, you know, thing for, for my career. And so we took about tw- 20 units over the, over the course of that COVID summer. Um, pretty tough, but fortunately everything was online. So I was sitting where I'm at here in Sacramento, California, doing school where I'm about 8 a.m. To, to about two. And uh, yeah, just kept checking along, graduated, moved down to San Diego, joined the sevens program, and just really started living the dream that, that I've had as a rugby player. Um, COVID was, was a weird time, but it was also such a, such an opportunity for me. And I, uh, I try to take advantage of it every, every day. Brilliant. Brilliant. And do you, um, that, so you, when you went from the, did you go from 15s to sevens? Was it, was so, you, you... if you play rugby in, in America at the college level, you typically can play both sevens and 15s. They're just separated by season. So you know, the fall season for us at Cal was was playing sevens. And then almost the entirety of, of the spring semester was 15s with the tail end after the, the 15s playoffs and championships, you go back to seven. So I had a good mixture of both. Brilliant. That, that, that probably gave you um, an advantage. Or is that the way it's done all across America? Yeah, typically. Typically, typically. Um, so look, let's let's bring it back because b- before I know it, I'm going to start asking questions about you know, and we we're up to the present day then. But let's create a picture of to you know what your 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 youth was like and um what your childhood was like in in Sacramento. Um, I I'm privileged and and I'm fortunate to have had an amazing childhood, and that's that's credit to mom and dad. It really is. They're they're an amazing um. You know they're they're amazing people, and and one I'm I'm forever grateful for. And they created an environment for me to ultimately thrive in. Um, it was challenging, and it it was pretty structured, but it was such a loving and nurturing environment that I had all the confidence in the world to to go do what I really wanted to do. Um, you know, it's kind of two sides. My my pops was in the military, and so there was a huge, you know, emphasis on on work ethic and dedication and accountability and selflessness. And then from the flip side, my mom is just the most loving and caring and selfless person, um, putting the family first above all needs. And and she is a true embodiment of of doing things that you you love in life, and that's it. And so I had those those people to look up to. Um, and so I'm really I'm really happy and fortunate with you know my childhood and everything. And I really think it was a huge huge reason I am the man I am today. Um, and, you know, there's little moments where, you know, that, that it's that saying, it's like, you got to work hard to play hard, but, um, you know, I'd go have sleepovers with, with friends and, and whatnot. And we'd, we'd have a great time on the weekend and whether it be Saturday morning or Sunday morning, six thirty seven AM, my dad's picking me up from wherever I was staying over and I'm going to work with him for the next four or five hours. And I think that was such a, a, a good time in my life. It was such a learning curve that you know, the work's got to get done. And it doesn't matter that if it's a Saturday or Sunday or, or an off day, what, whatever you want to call it, we're still going to get to work and, and uh, there's still work to, you know, to be done. Let's go look for it. If, if 
if it's right, not right in front of us. And so I think that set a really strong foundation for my work ethic going through life. Brilliant. That's amazing how, uh, how your dad is in the military and, and he was, uh, he was obviously doing stuff um, when he, when he left the military and that still, you know, that work ethic was, uh, was instilled in you. Um, did you ever, did you, you know, did you ever feel under pressure to, you know, go down that route, the military route or, or was it, you know, was it in your family? Cause I know that could be the case sometimes in, in America. Yeah, no, there, there, there was pressure. Um, I don't think it, it came from a, a selfish perspective from from my father, but he knew how, you know the opportunities that are open from joining the military and what you can learn from it and the values that you know you you instill in yourself from from joining the military and serving your country. And I think he wanted me to to have the similar experience that he did. Um, and so growing up, he told me, you know, you're going to go to a military academy, whether that's that's West Point or that's the Naval Academy. And the young, naive side of me was like, absolutely not. You know, if you, I'm going to go where I want to go. And I just didn't see the reasoning behind why he wanted me to go to one of those universities. Um, and so I'd always fight back. But it wasn't until rugby became a part of my life and opened doors for me. And we had the conversation where we realized that rugby could be a potential career path for me is when the outlook and 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 our you know our our mindset on where I was going to go to university changed, and so from the military side, it it said okay, let's find the best university that can complement my rugby and also you know the the academic side. And so UC Berkeley was was number one, obviously, and uh, so the pressure was was quickly relieved for me. And now uh, you know it, I wouldn't change it for the world. Brilliant, brilliant, and. During that time, because I, I know rugby is still very much, well, professional rugby is still very much in the early stages, isn't it, in in, in the States? Um, but before I go down that route, uh, I came across, just so you might be able to add some substance to this, that when you're with the Cal Veracity Rugby Club, you're an All-American Honours. What does, what does that mean? That means All-American is essentially... Well, growing up and, you know, if you, if you play for the All-Americans, that's playing for your essentially like youth side. So that's your, you know, Irish under 16s, under 18s, under 20s. There's honors as in, you know, if you're an All-American in the U.S. and in the college landscape, it's you're recognized as a top. I don't know what the exact number is, but one of the top players in the U.S. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not sure which years. I was given those honors, but yeah, at the Brilliant. end of the day, they're they're just. Uh, and was that with the University of uh, Berkeley in California? Was it University of yep. California? Yeah. Yep. Um, do you have any kind of standout moments from your childhood that um, you know, I, you you said you sat down with your father at one stage and you kind of discussed the the career path that rugby could actually be a career for you. Um, what was the tipping point for? Well, for you, you probably all, always knew, but what do you think was the tipping point for your father that made him realize, okay, leave, uh, leave Chris and go down that route? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. I think, number one, he realized how passionate I was for the sport. Um, the sacrifices I was making for the sport of rugby were, were you know, a little uncommon for for a kid my age. And and I think the work ethic that I shipped, I shipped him, that I had for, for the sport in life 
you know, I think gave him the confidence. It's okay. You know, whether he goes down the path of going to one of the academies or not, the person he is, the work ethic and, and, and the values that he already, you know, aspires to live by. He has full confidence in me that no matter the, the path of the university I go down, you know, I'll go out to set, set what I want to do. And then the other turning point, which was more so for me, that really solidified that, that dream and passion of mine was, you know, I was a, I was a sophomore, junior in high school. And, and I went over to, to London as a high school, you know, rugby player. And in America, that's pretty uncommon. And you don't, you don't hear a lot of stories like that. And, and that opened my eyes to the world, number one, but number two, to the sport of rugby and the caliber of, of, of the sport in other parts of the country. And getting a, a, you know, getting the opportunity to to represent my country at such a young age and sing the national anthem in another country was such a special moment for me. And and, and from like, you know, this is something that that I want to give, give everything to and and take it to the highest level. And so I think those were two points in my in my life that that were pivots that you know maybe changed the course that I originally thought I was going to be on. Brilliant, brilliant. And I, I believe you played other sports as well, naturally, as as uh, as you know most kids would do. Um, but obviously rugby was the when you decided to go down. I believe you played American football and baseball, basketball, soccer. You, you kind of did a bit of everything, did you? Yeah, I was a mutt growing up. I just played every sport that I could get my hands on. Um, football. I started from a real young age. I think I was nine when I started, and I think I ended when I was about eighteen. So had quite a quite a history of playing playing football and growing up playing basketball playing soccer playing baseball tried lacrosse one year I mean I tried everything and it wasn't until sixth grade so I must have been 12 or 13 where rugby came into my life and then I made it just rugby and football and do you think what did you learn from you know playing all those sports probably specifically football that that helped you when you were when you decided to go down that route of of, of rugby later on in your career. Yeah, um, you know, football has so many compliments to the game of rugby, and there's two sides of it. There's a physical aspect, and then there's the you know the mental component. And so, from a physical side, it just requires so much uh, of your body. And and I don't know how familiar you are with with football, and you know, you get to the high school level and. January one starts and, and you got morning workouts, we call them. And so from a young age, you're, you're waking up at 445, five o'clock and you're, and you're going to the, to the weight room and you're going to get a weight room session in and then maybe a field session after. And then you go to, you go to school from eight, eight fifteen, some days, nine o'clock all the way until, you know, about three o'clock. And then from there in the spring, I went to rugby practice. And so it was just such a full day and it was so structured and, and I had to give so much. But from that side, it, it really sh showed me the, the value of hard work and, and sac making sacrifices to your sport and, and your dreams in life. Um, and then playing football, you know, the tackling and the physical aspect of it definitely complements rugby. So, you know, that's one side of the equation. But, you know, the other side, the, the more of the, the mindset, the mental aspect is, it's such a demanding sport and, you know, it's moments like that where it's 4.45, 5 a.m. And, and it's cold in the morning. It's, it's January. And the, the last thing you really want to do is get out of your warm bed and, and go to the weight room and, and put a bunch of weight on your back. But you realize later in line how important those moments were. I mean, it's just setting up for life and it's teaching you that, you know, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and, and that's really the moments that you grow and, 
and you get one step closer to, to your goals. And, um, you know, the emphasis on teamwork and accountability was so valuable for me, you know, getting that experience and that exposure at a, at an early age, um, I think really helped kickstart, you know, my, my, my career. Very interesting. That's, uh, she's a, that's very, very interesting. It's and like in, in the, in regards to, um, that moment again, I kind of bring it back to that moment. You decided to go down the route of rugby. Was it always rugby sevens or was it the plan to go to 15s eventually? No. Yeah, the, the plan was always from a young age to, to get overseas and play 15s. That was the dream. Um, it's just funny how how things ebb and flow and change as as the you know weeks, months, and years go on. But sevens just became such a good opportunity for me, especially in that COVID year. The sevens program was still full-time and, and, and operational and also traveling around the world, playing and competing in, in tournaments. And so there, there, there wasn't a clear path to, to go to 15s professionally right after college. The path was so clear to go to sevens. And I knew that just being in that, in that elite environment with some incredible, incredible players. I mean, Danny Barrett, Perry Baker, Carlin Isles, Mako, you I mean, there's just, the list goes on and on. And I'm a, I'm a, 21 21 and a half year old kid who who looks up at these guys like as you know as as my idols and I was like oh my god I just want to be a part of that and and surround myself with with those that caliber of of players and people because I knew that would make me such a better you know player but also a better person and it's 2019 you were doing excellent for for in your in your college um I think you 10 starts you 14 tries um so that obviously brought you into you know going into the mid to late part of 2019 um you unfortunately had the ACL injury uh which you sustained just before you were going out to to Peru for the 2019 Pan American Games is that like the the competition before you do before the official Olympics, is it, or, or what's the... Yeah, I mean, I think the equivalent of that is the Commonwealth Games. That's actually paralleled. I think that's our, our side of the of the Atlantic. That's what we compete in. So, from my understanding, the research I've done, you were you played in everything up until, for the sevens, up until then, and then just before you flew out, you had a training session and uh, the ACL injury occurred. Is that right? Yeah, I went up... Um you know, for a center kickoff and I went up to, to tap the ball and, and I got knocked in the air and I came down and I did my ACL like that. And I just felt this, this eruption in my knee. And I was like, geez. And I was kind of in shock. I was like, there's no way I, I did anything to my knee. I was so, I was so worried that I wasn't going to go to Peru and, and, and play in the Pan American games. And I just told myself, there's no way. So I jogged off the field probably in shock and in a bunch of adrenaline, you know, I told myself I'm feeling no pain, but at the back of my mind, I knew something was wrong. Was the pain, it was very, because like, I know some people can tear it and they mightn't even be able to walk, but you were able to, to walk. Do you think you did more damage walking off or? No, no, no. We knew, we knew it, it, I mean, the damage had already been done, you know, it's just, it was me not wanting to, to accept the fact that, I did. I did my ACL. What was the look? Because in Ireland, there was a complete up uh, up here. A huge amount of people did the ACL over the last couple of years. It seems to be a regular thing here. 
Um, yeah. And obviously, I've spoken to a lot of people about the that you know that nine to twelve months of of rehab. What was it like for you? The physical and the psychological battle really i think because you know you, you're on your own you're not with a group of guys you're not going to the gym with a group of guys you're on your own what was that like uh um carrying my ACL was at that moment in my life the the biggest setback and the biggest i guess low point in my life and and, and the reason for that is because i completely attached my identity to the game of sport. And so when the injury occurred, sport was taken out of my life. You know, rugby was ripped away from me. And so I attributed my identity and, and my purpose and who I was as a person kind of gone for me. Um, but that quickly changed. I mean, in a matter of one phone call where, you know, I had a, I had a, a friend and a former teammate from the University of California, Berkeley, who got paralyzed in a rugby match you know, from, from the neck down and whatnot. And, and I had a conversation with both him and, and our coach who, who helped him and continues to help him on his journey. And they basically, you know, they said, listen, it's just a knee. Like it could be so much worse, you know, and it just, it, it just changed my perspective on this situation. I was like, oh yeah, you know, it could be so much worse. And so from then I just went to work to, to rehab and, and getting it back. And, um, I look back on, on, on the injury now and it was the biggest blessing in disguise because what I learned from that injury and in, in the rehab process and whatnot and learned about myself truly kickstarted, you know, another another career of mine. Um, and I think I just elevated everything about my life from from that injury. You touched on the identity um, aspect of it. And that's quite interesting because most rugby guys who I've spoken to well, maybe it's changed now, but they don't really, you know, deal with or think about their identity until until they retire, which is, is yeah. somewhat too late. Do you think the injury kind of, you know, resulted in you being more, probably more conscious, more aware that, look, I need to have a career outside of rugby as well. You know, I need to start working on that career. Absolutely. You know, when, when you're injured like that with an ACL, you're not playing for probably a minimum nine months. And for my case, it was about 20, 21 months because the injury and then COVID happened. Oh yeah. yeah. Later, but you know, for that, for that period in my life where I didn't have a, a sport that I loved so much. And, and I really thought that Christian Dyer was just this rugby player. It forced me to escape that mindset and, and start doing things every day that didn't involve the rugby ball. I mean, it, it, it just opened my 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 eyes to another another life and it and it helped me create new new ins and new passions and have conversations with people about what they're doing in life and whatnot. And just it started to, you know, it started this this little journey of who I am and what I want to do outside of the game. And 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 I'm I'm looking back, you know, ACO injuries aren't aren't fun and and I wish no one has to go through them. But it was also such a such a blessing and such a learning curve for me that I can sit here confidently saying I'm happy that happened because what I took away from it is, is life-changing. It's amazing. It's, it's your mindset that is, uh, is something I really like as well, you know, from, from speaking to you that time in, in Dubai and uh, uh, from research and you're very optimistic. Um, I think to, to succeed in life, I think you need to, you know, we're always going to have setbacks, but how you deal with those setbacks is, 
is you know what separates separates people. What was the pod, was the podcast? Did that come from the ACL injury, or did you start a podcast recently? No. So the podcast, I've wanted to do something like this for probably three or four years. I just there would be the fear of what other people would say. You know, imposter syndrome is a big thing, and and I think I suffered from it for a few years because. You know, I always kept telling myself, well, you know, your name's not that big or you're not the biggest international rugby player. Um, you know, who's going to listen to you? And is your voice really that credible? But yeah, I don't know what it was, you know, listening to, to mentors and, and, and reading books and, and the podcasts I listen to and whatnot. I just I realize that it's my life and and whether it touches one person or whether it touches a million people, either way is a win for me. And so if I can just change one person's life and inspire them to, to go chase their dream and give them some of, some of the knowledge and experiences of, of uh, all these amazing people that I'm bringing onto the show, then listen, that, that, that's a win. And, and I got to be happy with that. And so once I, once I got over that, I just, I put pen to paper. I started making a plan. I started reaching out to people. Um, we just put this structure around it and we, and we just started. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, it was a pretty, it was pretty uncharted water for me like i've never done anything like that i didn't really even know where to begin so i just i kind of got on youtube and google and just figured out you know what are the what are the basic steps to starting a podcast in in a show like that and i knew it wasn't going to be perfect at first but i was just striving for uh for progress definitely you you, you've had some amazing guests on um you know american footballer guy and you had uh i'm going to pronounce his name wrong no but the guy who's the mma guy um oh, that's your eye of favor right favor yeah i think listen to that podcast yeah. very interesting yeah. actually he, he has a cool story and you know i think we're just getting started like you know we got so many olympians about to come on and, and nba players and nfl players and, it, and it's so cool hearing you know their journeys from childhood to athletes and the lessons they learn and kind of what they wish they used to know and it's like i i, I got to a point where i realized that all these you know mentors and inspirations of mine they're giving me so much value, but it, it shouldn't just end at me. You know, I would love to be able to share that, that, that value and, and those, you know, words of wisdom and, and, and journeys, you know, with other people. And that's why, you know, I started my podcast is, you know, to have that platform of, of giving, you know, given, uh, you know, these stories and conversations to everyone. Is it true you have a, a current Irish international coming up soon? Ah, yes. We, uh, we we did record with uh we're not gonna say his name. That's fair enough. I I said I wouldn't just just yeah. Uh, <laughs> he'll be coming up soon, and, and that conversation is brilliant. I mean, he's such a good guy, and I think you know who we're talking about. Yeah. I just love his his whole perspective on life and, and gratitude in his life, and and changing your your perspective on the situation um is such a big thing for him, and something that I think I could be better at. And so the conversation was was a good learning for me as well. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, the just back we say let's bring it back again. That up in two thousand and twenty one, this is obviously in the in the middle of COVID. You had the opportunity to join um that new franchise in in uh, in New York, Rob United New York. Uh, why didn't you decide to go down that route? Um, because I was still chasing the Olympic dream. In a, in a short answer, it's that. And in, a, in another answer, I didn't want to live in New York. 
Oh yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, the Olympics was was delayed. Yeah, sure, it was the is delayed to enjoy them. So you again, that was um. So you had the ACL, which was a low coming back, and then you got, obviously you were you got offered that that contract, and you know which was probably an indication that things were going well that you were performing, but then you you wanted to continue with the Olympic dream, but. You were hit with the news, unfortunately, after the quest for gold sevens that you weren't going to be part of the plans, or or, or did you decide not to be part of the plans? What was the? I couldn't get clear clarity on that online. So, oh, um, you know, all year we were playing in tournaments and training and whatnot, and things were going, you know, really well for me actually. And you know, the conversations that I had with coaches and whatnot, um, were all positive. And so I was in a position. I was I was thinking. I was in a good position to go to the Olympics. Um, I really was. And, and um, after that tournament, you know, I got, I had the conversation that, that Christian, you're not going to the Olympics. And so, yeah, it was a, it, it was a punch in the gut to me, um, which I think is only natural. It's only a natural way to feel after getting told that you're not going to go to the Olympics. But um, funny, the next day I, uh, yeah. I flew to England. And, you know, I, I joined the men's 15s national team and, and had an opportunity to go debut against against England and then the following week play Ireland. It's so it's like, you know, moments like that, it just reassures me that, you know, you have to just stay in the present and you got to focus on on whatever job and opportunities next. Um, and what so was, it's a big thing. So, yes. Yeah, so, sorry. Uh, what was the before you got the phone call so between getting the phone call for the 15s and getting or having that conversation from the seven about the sevens um what was the what was that period like for you the self-talk is up naturally where humans are going to talk neg- negative to the to ourselves it's funny i we're on the bus ride from la to san diego and i get a text from the 15s manager basically saying are you going to, are you going, are you selected to Tokyo? Are you going to Tokyo? And I'm sitting there like, well, I don't know. Like, I hope I am. He goes, okay, well, we need to know because you're, if not, you're flying out tomorrow at 7 a.m. Whoa, geez. I'm sitting on the bus at the back of the bus with the, the sevens coach at the front of the bus. And I WhatsApp messaged him. I said, hey, I just got this text from X, Y, and Z. And he goes, okay, we'll speak after. And so I had like an hour left to even like, fathom what was going on um so i'm thinking i'm like geez like if i don't go to the olympics i'm gonna be upset um part of me was like i just put all this hard work blah 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 like but then the other side of me was like if i don't go to the olympics i'm flying to england tomorrow morning like there is no there is no losing here and all that hard work and i was in the best shape of my life all I really believe things happen for a reason, you know, probably, you know, I was telling myself it's all good. Like you just put in all that hard work and now you're going to go, you're going to go play with the 15s team in the best shape of your life. Like what an opportunity. And so that was the, the mindset, you know, the mindset that quickly shifted um, as I was arriving into San Diego. And then I had that conversation with coach Friday and um, it was a little bittersweet, but I knew that I got to go home, do some laundry and pack a new bag. You weren't. You had no opportunity to draw in your sorrows. It was literally. No, I was, didn't. Oh, that's. Uh, and do you looking back on the sevens? Do you think looking back? Do you think you gave it everything? 
uh, like, do you think, you know, you know, for the Olympics, like, do you think you left no stone unturned? Yeah, absolutely. I, I put everything I had in that camp and, um, you know, I, I don't think I, I think I performed a little under my potential and that's because I was still having some performance anxiety and I, and I was still overthinking some things and whatnot. And, but from the physical and, and mental and work ethic standpoint, I gave everything I had in, into that program and in that campaign and, you know, our efforts and, and our preparation are things we can control and things we can be proud of despite, you know, the outcomes not going our way. And so I look back on that and I've got nothing for gratitude and, and, and a positive, you know, mindset. Brilliant, brilliant. And you you touched on the performance anxiety. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's what I've actually spoken to a few people about that. And I suppose look from the outside looking in, you you probably just take it for granted that these athletes, you know, they don't get nervous, but they do. Um and how over the last couple of years have you dealt firstly, what was it like and how have you dealt with that? Yeah, um, you know, it got to a point where it's just like I was I was thriving in, in- Impressed. I mean, I was playing above my level, and I think that was because I was just so comfortable and confident with a with an effort attitude. Like it's practice, you know. There's nothing to lose, and there was no pressure. But pressure, from what I've learned, is is only what you put on yourself. And when we when we make the situation in the moment bigger than it really is, that's when we can start performing under our potential. So I left the sevens program with that understanding and, and and whatnot that I don't think I was performing at the level I should be. So I started working with, with a sports psychologist and whatnot. And that's when we really dove into, you know, detaching my identity from sport. That's when we really changed my, my mindset on, on the fear of failure. And, and we honestly now look at failure as simply like data points, you know, on my journey. And it's like, they're just lessons you know, at the end of the day, and there's never going to be a perfect game of rugby. You know, you're never going to perfect game of rugby, but we can always strive for that. And so instead of looking at things like, I don't want to get them wrong, like that, that mindset that you put yourself in, well, then odds are you probably are going to get things wrong because what we think and, and where our mind is and the energy we, you know, that we give things to is ultimately where we go. And so, you know, we just, we, we went down this path. It's like, be okay to fail, like have confidence to fail. Um, and let's just focus on trying to get it right next time. And I think that was a huge, you know, moment in my life, especially from the mental side of, of me and my game where um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I had that humility to, to reach out to somebody and tell them that, Hey, I don't think I'm playing at, at the level I should, you know, can we, can we talk about this and can we start figuring out reasons why? But you see, you had the awareness, and I wouldn't say awareness, but you, yeah, you had the awareness to do that. But some athletes, I suppose, get that they're, you know, they're outperforming people as they're growing up, and, you know, they develop that confidence and that aura, and, you know, everything that goes with it. Um, and would, you know, pride would set in that they wouldn't be inclined to reach out to people. And it's a game with, with mental health. They, they're, they're not inclined to reach out to people, not saying that's related to pride. Um, but for you, why do you think you actually reached out to someone that maybe someone in a similar position mightn't have? Because I, I realize, like, there's nothing to lose if you reach out to somebody and tell them that 
you're struggling. Like what is there to lose at the end of the day? You know, it's only going to be an opportunity to, to get better and grow. And, and I realize like the, the dreams and the goals and aspirations that I have in my life are so big. And that's going to require me to be performing physically and mentally at my absolute best. And because I wasn't performing then that's when I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's figure out a reason and a solution to this. You know, there's a quote by one of my, my favorite coaches is, is why guess when you can know. And so we just went down the path of, of figuring things out and making a plan and identifying, you know, the, the, the root cause of things rather than trying to put band-aids on everything and just skating by. And I was like, at the end of the day, we're all humans and, and, and to not be at your best every single day is, is a totally natural thing. And I, and I think a lot of people don't, aren't okay with that. You know, it's like, we're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have great days. And so all I could do then was, was start figuring out how can I, how can I be more consistent with, with my game and my behaviors that are ultimately compound over, you know, days, weeks, and months to get me to the level that, that I really want to be playing at. Let's uh, bring it up to the present now. Um, because I do think you're going, you're like, you're definitely performing and, you know, looking at your career over the last four or five years, you're, it's ebb and flows, but with every, every down, there's a more of an up, you know, next time. Firstly, I think it's important for listeners because people who aren't interested or you know wouldn't really know rugby. Obviously, rugby is big here in Ireland. Um, what was the makeup and the qualifying process for the USA for the World mm-hmm. Rugby, the Rugby World Cup? Because he had two two opportunities to to qualify. Yeah. Um. Last year we played Canada in a home and away series, so we got through that. Then the next job was going to play Uruguay in a home and away series. We won at home, we lost away, but by point differential, we uh, we didn't qualify. And so we knew, okay, next year we're going to play Chile in, in the same sort of, you know, competition. And so there was going to be a home game, there, home game, there was going to be an away game. We were in camp for about four, uh, three weeks before that. We got a, we got a game against the French Barbarians and, and whatnot. And uh, we played um, at home. We played away first game and uh, in treacherous conditions. I mean, some of the worst rugby conditions I've ever had to experience, but we, we, we came out of that game winning by one point. And um, yeah, it's good that we won. I still think we, we gave them some points they shouldn't have been able to put on the board. Traveled back up to Denver, Colorado and played them home. And, and uh, we we're up by 19 points and, and they ended up coming back and, and, and beating us. Um, so we're kind of sitting there like, geez, you know, we, we've dug ourselves in a pretty deep hole. Um, and you can't, you can't point fingers anywhere. You, all we can, all we can do is, is, is look at ourselves and we're the ones on the field and we're the ones that are making those mistakes. So it's on us. And we were just looking for an opportunity to qualify. And so we knew that the repertoire was going to be a thing. We didn't know where we didn't know when we just knew that was going to be an opportunity to go qualify. So we fast forward I think it was about six, seven weeks, whatever. And we were in camp for a couple of weeks. And then we, uh, we got into the repercharge camp and we went down to South Africa for three weeks and we had an amazing campaign and the boys were so bought in and, and, and they dug in and they gave absolutely everything they had. And so we're coming into this pretty confident that we're going to be able to get by these three games and, and we're going to book our ticket to the world cup next year. And 
that last game against Portugal, just you look at it and we, yes, we lost overall. We still tied the game. We put in a good performance. Effort was there. Boys were so, so locked in and, and gave everything they had. But, but you look back and it's it's sometimes the way sport goes and, and, and sometimes the way life goes. And as much as I could, I could soak about it, uh, I swallowed the pill. I, I, I quickly just realized that I'm proud of what I put in. I'm proud of every single one of the, the players that were involved in, in that campaign. Um, but it's out of our control now. We're not going to the Rugby World Cup. So let's now turn our attention to how can we all become better, better rugby players individually and then next time that that we come together as a national team, you know, we'll be in a better place than we were leaving that game against Portugal. And I think that's where my head's at, and that's where a lot of the guys' heads at. Thank you, and I don't mean to be delving into it, but I, I think it's important to, to un, unravel these situations. Um, I was obviously at the game, and geez, it was it was just devastating that uh, what what you know how it. I know you drew the game, but it kind of felt like a. It felt like a, a loss. Um, it was a loss, obviously. That you know, you you didn't qualify. But what was the aftermath like? You know, because it must have been very difficult to to digest. Yeah. Um, it was a dark moment, if I'm being honest. You know, you're kind of sitting there, um, and for some people, you know, that's that's probably their last game for the USA. They're not going to go to the World Cup, and they're not going to end their career in a fashion that they always thought they were. And so those are the people that I really felt for me sitting there. I'm gutted. I hate losing. I really do hate losing. And we're not going to the world cup. And I'm just like, damn, this is, this is so not what I pictured us. What, what, what that evening was going to look like. Um, but I realize I'm 24 years old. I'm hopefully going to get another opportunity at a World Cup and potentially two World Cups. You never know. So I I still somewhat had a positive outlook on, on the trajectory of everything. And and I'm a firm believer that setbacks and, and, and failures and losing are just opportunities for you know a comeback. And, and you can grow and gain so much from those moments. And so with that, you know, that belief in me and and I just looked to to what was next. And I can't speak to how other people were feeling or, or what they were thinking in that moment, but but that's where my head was at. Just before we, we move on, I'd like to um because I remember I spoke to a few people before this is a couple of years ago, but this is in the early early days of the podcast. But what's the makeup of rugby in the US? Because like some people don't even know that there's rugby, there's professional rugby in the US. Um I just think it's important to, to highlight it. it. It's kind of like a franchise system like this, like the soccer, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, from a high level from major league rugby, which is the professional organization in, in the USA, there's 12 teams. Yeah. Because Austin and LA are not. So there's 12 teams, you know, you got six in the West, six in the East. Um, and that's in America right now, besides playing for your national team, that's the pinnacle of, of the sport. Um, and so that season runs from about January to, to about July, which, yeah, you can scratch your head on and be like, that's not really that professional. And I agree with you and it, it needs to be longer, but 
we're still at, at the infant stages of of the organization in, in the league here in America. So I I am optimistic it'll it'll grow and develop into a fully, you know, fully professional league. But um I'm just grateful and 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 confident and it gives me confidence to see that there is a professional league in the USA and it's given players something to strive for and dream for and 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 leave college to to get into the professional level rather than resort club rugby or their mindset is I need to get overseas to keep developing myself and, and to be in a professional setup. So it's so good that we have that here in the States and it's gaining momentum and, and, and exposure really, really fast. And you've seen with some of the, you know, the players that are playing in this league from overseas, there's some big names. And um, I think everybody at one point in their career wants to come live in the USA, which that, that that's on our side. And, and that's a pretty big attraction point. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's cool to see and it's cool to be a part of. And I'm just happy that I, I can play the sport I, I love full time here in the States. That's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And do you uh, do you also kind of do, because I know you're qualified in political, political science, is it? Political. Yeah, so I got a bachelor's degree in political science from Berkeley. Um, I'm probably going to stay far away from politics in the USA. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do, do, you, do, you, do you like, do you have a, What's the okay, yeah, we'll touch on that in a few minutes, but before changing the, the subject, sorry, let's um I'd like to get your especially you're you're very, very young, um, and hopefully you will be there when this comes around. Uh the Rugby World Cup in America in twenty thirty one. Um what's the feeling amongst the, the rugby community? Or has the excitement started yet or is it still still a bit too far away? Uh, if I'm being honest, I think it's still a little too far away. Um it's good to know that it's going to be here, but if we're being honest with ourselves, we still got a, a long way to go um, as a team and especially the infrastructure of rugby here in the States to, to get us in the position we want to be in, you know, leading up to that, that world cup. It's great that it's going to be there, you know, especially when, when it's about four or five years as professional set up now and by then it'll be, what is it? 10 years or less than 10 years more be, 12 13 years professional so it should be a a good um it should be a good you know a good state by by the time that comes around um in regards to look what's the plan now going forward what's the next three or four years looking like for the qualification for the 2027 world cup what's your you know, um, what's your what's your plan as in as a union or as an individual as 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 a nation to qualify for that yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty similar to to honestly what we what we just, you know, we're doing the past couple of years, you know, we'll we'll play I'm sure we'll play Canada and we'll have to we'll have to represent North America and when, then we'll... when's that kicking off as such I suppose that's why that's what I mean when's that kicking off Oh, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. It probably be after sure this be World Cup. Yeah. 2 years before the next World Cup. It was two years. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And what's the next, you know, what's the next um, two to three years looking like for you from an individual perspective? What's your uh, your touch um, points, goals? Yeah, like part of me wants to to play overseas and, and, and I'm not exactly sure where. That was a dream growing up and and, and I want to experience that life and, and, and go chase rugby to the highest I can. Um, I'm not sure where yet, so I'm going to get through this this MLR season and and see, you know, 
where I'm at, where my head's at, what I want to go do and, and figure out, you know, what's going to be the best, you know, route for me, um, from, from, from a, uh, from the side outside of rugby, there's so much, like, I'm really, really enjoying the podcast and I want to take this as far as I can and, and, um, potentially start using it as a way to, to work with, with people and athletes on, on high performance. That's something that I have a huge passion for and I'm, and I'm a huge advocate and like, I'm so big on, on the mind. And I, and I really think that your mind is, is your biggest, you know, that's your biggest strength and, and, and that can completely change everything you do in life. Um, and so working on people to develop that, that, that the mental toughness, the mindset, that optimism, that, that gratitude, all these components that are required to, you know, to live that life that, that you want to, that's what I'm really passionate about. And I love seeing people and helping people, you know, accomplish their goals and, and live that life story that they want to write. So I do want to dive into that and see where I can take that. Um, but right now it's just, it's so focused on the present. Like I keep trying to remind myself that that's the only thing I can control and I can have these master master plans. Like I always did growing up thinking that everything was going to go according to plan, but I quickly realized that within a matter of a month or two, and especially over the duration of a year, things changed like that. And so I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of years. Just see what happens play by play by year, as they say. And, uh, yeah, well, d- d- yeah I was going to say the immediate, um, goal would be have another strong year in the, in MLR. You got to the final last year, I believe was the, the uh, conference speed. final. Yeah. Conference final. And what's the, the standard like in the, in the MLR? um it's high it's a physical it is a physical league um i think it's not as fast paced and expansive as some some leagues um but it, it it's a it's a short but but pretty rigorous season i mean it's it's basically five months of non-stop rugby oh, um yeah. you know you get a bye week every five or six weeks something like that um but the standard is honestly rising and improving week by week, which which is good to see. And and we all knew that was going to be the case given the caliber of players coming in, the coaches and whatnot. Um, so um, I, I'm happy with it. You know, that's something that I have no control of. So I'm just focused on on my standards and and what I can contribute to to my team in the game. But um, it, it is it's a good place to start, and it's only uphill from here. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, what was it like actually before the MLR was set up? Was there any professional rugby in in the states? They they created an organization or or a league. I think it was called Pro Rugby. I want to say it lasted two years. What and was it? I was still. I think I was in high school when when that happened. So I didn't really put much energy mm-hmm. thought into it. I just knew it was there, and there was still club rugby going on. Um. But if you look at, you know, a lot of the the high caliber players in the States, they all played overseas because that's where the professional environments were. Um, and that's where they needed to be if they wanted to to chase a game to to the highest level and, and become the best players that they could be. And look, you, you, you hate putting things in, you know, out there, but where would the goal be to, or where, not goal, but 
if you were to play rugby overseas, I know you 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 said you still have to think about it, but I suppose it would be probably Europe or or New Zealand, really, or Australia. It just depends, I suppose. There's there there's so many factors that that come into play. Probably not Ireland. It's too cold in your country. Oh, it's freezing at the moment now as well. Cold weather. These things turn off. But honestly, Jamie, if I'm being honest with you, it, 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 because I have such a big like passion and, and interest outside of the game of rugby, the 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 team and the place I go to has to complement you know my life and that lifestyle because I know from trial and error that I'm the best rugby player when I'm super, super busy and, and passionate about things outside of the game. And so figuring out a place or a league that complements that is where I'm going to end up going. Um, and, and so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't, I don't know where Japan, England, France, it could, I don't know yet. Um, I want to see the world. I want to experience new cultures and in, in, in new, 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 new people and just, and grow as a person and not just grow as a, as a rugby player and as an athlete, but really get the best of making the leap and going to live in another country. Definitely. I, I you know, I haven't done that myself. It's, uh, it's amazing. Jeez. It's amazing yeah. to, to, to call your comfort zone and, and experience that. What did you think of, uh, of Dubai at the time when you were over there? Was that your first time there? Yeah, but I don't need to go back. <laughs> Enough. And, and the reason I say that is Dubai's cool, and it's and it's very very cool, and it's so technologically advanced, and you got skyscrapers going up everywhere you go. Um, but it just felt like, you know, when I go on when I go travel or I go on a vacation or whatever it may be, I want to experience the cuisine or the culture, the people, you know, what that region or city or whatever location has to offer. It just felt like I, I wasn't getting any of that in Dubai. And so, 100%. you know, when my mom and dad, when we're traveling, you know, we'll go to a restaurant or a bar and, and they're talking to every single person in that place. My dad's having a beer with some, my mom's having a glass of wine with whoever it may be. And they're just like picking their brains about it and whatnot. And I really, really got that in Europe when we were traveling through Italy and, and my dad and I in Switzerland. And it just, and I knew they would never be doing that in Dubai. Yeah, because it, because all those like destinations have heritage and culture attached to it. Um, I think Dubai still has a, or even the UAE has. It's still a long way to go in that in that regard. Um, but yeah, I, I totally get your point because like if you go to Europe or, or wherever you, you know, there's a nucleus, there's a heritage, there's something connected to the place. Um, yep. but yeah, it's uh, were you ever actually in Ireland? Out of curiosity. Yeah, we played uh in Dublin. Oh yeah, sorry. But did you get a chance to to kind of you know get to see a part of? Because like COVID, it was kind of on like I don't know, like the three quarter point towards COVID, and Europe still had you know stricter restrictions than the US did. But we stayed at the Fitzpatrick somewhere outside oh, yeah. of Dublin, or whatever, which is a really really cool place. Um, now I didn't get a venture around. Surely some other time, stay away during the winter. It's freezing at all. I would love that. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Look, we're we're coming to the end now, and I'd like to kind of finish up by just asking and getting an insight. I kind of know your answer because just to how the the interview has gone. Um, but would you practice visualization, you know, consciously or, or subconsciously? That's a good question. I never thought if it was consciously or subconsciously. Like, I I do do visualization. Um, I do a lot of you know, meditation and, and mindfulness practice. Um, 
you know, I, I think I visualize 24 seven, like I'm always, I'm always trying to think about how, how it can go wrong or how it can go right. And then also prepare for potentially how it could go wrong and whatnot. And I'm always, I'm always having positive conversations with me and myself in my head. Um, so I would guess, I would say that's a conscious decision. Yeah. Um, but then geez, I get into the game and that goes out the window. Like I'm just <laughs> like that. Yeah, no, it's a, that's uh that's yeah, that's why I thought as well. I'm kind of very much like that as well. Just you'd be constantly thinking of different alternatives or what to do and etc. But sometimes when I ask people they you know they they'd say they don't, which is I'm kinda of like you do if you're going into a game or if you're going into a boxing fight, you're you're obviously naturally gonna be thinking of different different yeah. alternatives. Um this might be a bit of a deep question for you, but nonetheless we'll we'll throw it out there. Is leaving a legacy important to you? It is important to me. Um, it, my why in life is 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 essentially to make an impact on others and to to inspire someone to go chase their dream. That's that's really what I want to get out of this life. And and a legacy essentially means that what you did had value and meaning to it. And so everything I do is 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 I'm going to give everything I have to it. Um, there's going to be a lot of failures. There's hopefully going to be a lot of wins, but, um, my legacy I want to leave is the fact that my work ethic, my actions, my behaviors inspired people, you know, to be their best self. And and if I can do that, you know, I can look back at life whenever that may be at the end, you know, happy and proud of, of, of what I put into it. Cause at the end of the day, your efforts, your attitude, you know, your preparation is, is the only thing you can control. And so that's really what I'm trying to focus on every day. And do you have a pre-match and post-match routine that you adhere to? I know I'm kind of jumping between questions, but I just, just pop into my head. Do you do you have a routine before games? I got a routine every day. I, I'm so big on routine. I'm big on, you know, a morning routine and and, and basically putting yourself in the best physical and, and, and mental you know, state, you know, frame that, that you possibly can. Um, it doesn't change too much on game days, game days. I love going through the morning routine and then going for, uh, I love getting out and going to find a, a good cup of coffee. You know, I get out of the hotel or wherever I may be. And I just, I just enjoy life. And whether I bring a friend or my family's in town, just have a good conversation and not talk about rugby. And then, um, yeah, I do a, uh, I do about a 30 minute visualization mindset, you know, mindfulness, uh, practice where it's a bit of breathing work and in a bit of thinking about, um, the game and, and how I want it to go. And then, um, and then, yeah, we, we, we get right into the game. I have the same, I have the same warm up and activation I do before every match. Um, and that's kind of my way of telling my body that it's, it's ready for game day or it's ready to, to go perform post-match. Um, I don't have a big post-match routine. It's kind of, based on how I feel in, in that moment, you know, some, sometimes it's going to be feeling really good physically and mentally. Some, some days it, it may be, oh, I'm pretty beat up or I'm dealing with a little bit of a, of an injury or whatnot. And so let's go address that. Um, but it's more so not letting a big win or a big game for me, you know, get to my head and, and change who I am and whatnot. And it's also not letting a loss or a poor game for me, change who I am. And so it's trying to stay as consistent as possible. Um, 
you know, we look at the games, we figure out what went well, what didn't go well, and we just make a plan for next week. Do you think the mindset you have, because you actually have a kind of a very interesting and um, you know, a mindset that I I, I like to be around and like to to chat to. Um do you think that's from your your parents? You know, specifically your your father from the military, um, his military career that you're able to. I suppose you're more you're kind of more aware of how you're feeling. I'm really aware of how I'm feeling, and I think there's a lot that mom and dad taught me and, and served as the 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 foundation of of who I am and the mindset that I have. I don't think that the mindset I have now is is solely attributed to to them i think that has a lot to do with me it has a lot to do with getting it wrong a lot it has a lot to do with me reaching out to people having conversations reading listening to podcasts you know and really just being aware of the fact that i'm trying to get the best out of my life and and i want to get the best out of other people and so i'm constantly seeking ways to improve that side of me and so in doing so, I think I've just learned and I've created new ways of thinking and habits, not that I created, but that were that were taught to me by by some of the world's best. And so I'm always trying to get better and whatnot. And I think I think emotional awareness is one of the biggest factors, you know, for that successful people have in this world. It's it's a huge thing and and it's a work in progress for me every single day. But the more I practice gratitude and mindful training, um, and, and and I look inward, you know, especially at the start of the day, um, you know, the more it grows. And so, yeah, it's not perfect and success is never linear, but as long as I can keep checking it off day by day, I'm, I'll be happy. I got a numerous amount of questions in, but one I got in, I don't think I touched on yet was how do you think, or how, how did, how did Cal Robby set you up for your no professional life? Mm, yeah. I mean, Honestly, Cal Cal's probably the most professional collegiate, you know, rugby program in America. And I would love to say in the world, but I'm not familiar with what other what the other landscapes are like. But um Coach Clark, Coach Clark and Coach Phillips are just incredible human beings and they're great rugby coaches, but they're even better people and leaders um and servants of the game. And um I had a really, really strong relationship with, with coach Phillips, who was our assistant coach and, and strength and conditioning coach. And, and he's a mentor for me, not just as a rugby player, but in life. And, and I think my relationship with him and what he taught me there was, um, was so valuable and it kickstarted everything in my career. And there's a lot of behaviors that I, that I found and created at Cal that transitioned really, really well to the professional landscape. Um, so it was a big, you know, a big uh, four years of my life that that I definitely got a lot out of. Brilliant, brilliant. What are two non What are two daily non negotiables? Ooh, non negotiables. Well, there's a few. Like my, I wake up every day, and, and the whole thing is like just win the day. And if you have time, I'll tell you the story. Yeah, where that. So when I tore my ACL, I don't know if you've ever had a, you know, an injury like that, but when you tear your ACL, the, the, the improvements, you know, the progress is so marginal 
um, especially in the, in the early stages of that recovery. And when I mean marginalized, it's coming in and, and you're just trying to bend your knee maybe a degree or a few degrees more every day. And so going through those, that rehab process really taught me the importance of just winning the day and just small, small improvements, you know, every single day. And when you compound that day after day, week after week, month after month, that's when you can sit back and, and see a massive change um, and improvement in, in whatever you're doing. And so that, that's something that I, that I just remind myself every day is just win the day, like something small, something big, let's just focus on small wins. Let's, let's try to get stuff done. Um, and, and I guess that's a, that's a non-negotiable mindset that I, that I put myself in every day behaviors. Um, I've got to move, I've got to work out. I got to sweat. I got to do something that is getting my body moving. That just makes me feel at my best. Um, so I really do something for my, my body every day. I do something for my mind every day. So that could be um, doing a meditation. That could be sitting down and reading a book. That could be getting on a podcast or, or recording a podcast or listening to a podcast. Just something to, to stimulate my mind. Um, and then for me, it's, it's, it's being authentic. I think that's a behavior that I, that I, that I want everybody to live by. It's, it's your life. You don't need to, you don't need to live your life in any of those, you know, eyes and, and opinions on yourself. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And look, we'll, uh, we'll finish it up now. And before I do, have you a motto that you, you live by? Oh, wow. That's, you know, there's a, there's a rugby motto that I tell myself before every game and, and it's, arguably, you know, it's transferable to life. It's, it's be the player everybody wants to play with because I think that's an important, important piece of the game is, is the type of, of players and people that I want on my team says more about them as a person than it does as a player. And um, so I want, I want my efforts, my, my actions, my, my, my dedication, my, you know, the sacrifices I make, um, to speak for themselves. And, and I, and I think that's a huge, you know, um, I get a lot of respect out of that. Um, and so that's something that I try to remind myself before games is, is be that person that everybody wants on their team. Um, the person that goes the extra yard, the person that puts the team before themselves. And, and I, and I could say that that's probably about life as well off the field. Um, when the day is another one, like that one, uh, that kind of fed into your 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 non-negotiable as well. That just yeah. win the day as, as as best as possible. Other than that, no, there's not like a there's not one motto that that I live by. Brilliant, brilliant. No, I, that's uh, that's fair enough. I think we we covered a huge amount. Um, especially your, you know, your how you've dealt with setbacks and and your mindset. And I suppose to, to summarize it really, um, just from what we spoke about the the ACL injury really changed the trajectory of your I wouldn't say of your career but of your mindset that was that really bulletproof your mindset was it absolutely it was it was a huge learning curve and um yeah it's just it's moments like that you just you don't see the the reason or the or the light in the moment um and I think I can I can take a lot away from that and I remind myself that whenever I'm going through things in life you know in the present day that 
they're not going my way or I'm not happy with the current situation. You know, I, I just constantly remind myself that number one, it'll pass. And number two, like, you know, I may think back on this in a month or two and, and realize that it was actually a good thing. And so, you know, it was a, it was a big change in my mindset and, my, and it helped me put perspective on the situations and, and, you know, moments like that in your life. Brilliant. Brilliant. Look, we'll, we'll wrap it up, Kristen. I think we, we covered a huge amount and I'd like to, to thank you for coming on Inside View podcast and best luck with everything going forward. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm grateful to, to have met you in Dubai and thank you for inviting me on. That is all from this week's podcast. I hope you joined the interview with Kristen. Again, if you'd like to know more about Kristen or wondering how you might be able to team up with him, be sure to check out the Sports Endorse website for more information. I'll also include a link in the show notes. We'd also ask you to rate, review and tell your friends, family about the podcast and be sure to subscribe to the podcast too. It makes a huge difference. Be sure to follow us on social media. We're available on all social media platforms if you haven't done so already. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember cred and the fin. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.